Welcome to ADHD is Over, a new podcast on a seemingly old label that we're going to be peeling off. Join my wife, Tatiana, and I as we journey with our family, the Wyden family, through the land of confusing information. We're going to visit both sides and let you decide because the power is with you. Welcome to ADHD is Over. Welcome back to our Wyden family podcast. Hello. Hello, my favorite guest, my wife. <laughs> Tatiana, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Well, today we're coming to you from our um, porch, which is why you might hear some bird sounds, perhaps some kids running around, some neighborhoodly sounds, and it feels good. Uh, yeah, I got to say this is our favorite podcast location spot. Yes. The exterior <laughs> studio. <laughs> well, today's episode is called That Fork in the Road. And the fork we're uh, referring to is that fork when um, parents realize they have to make a decision, right? Uh, the two directions that are most common is you, uh, your son or daughter has been diagnosed and you are going to go left or right. On the left, you get your child medicated. You sort of buy into this label of ADHD that there's a disorder, there's something wrong with the child's brain. Um, you go left or you can go right, and this is in our opinion, you can go right and say, you know what, I'm gonna dig deeper. I wanna find out really what is it? Is it a disorder? Oh look, our uh, note paper is flying off. Um, so you can go right, and when you go right, it's really about doing more of the work. Not to say that parents who take a left and medicate and label um, don't have work cut out for them, right? Because it's a very, still a very stressful scenario if you see your son as a, or daughter as a problem and you're at home and you have to give medication and you have to follow up with the teachers. You know, it's, it's still work. We're not saying that's not work. but. When one turns, when a family turns to the right direction at that fork and decides to dig deeper and, and go what we call alternative mm -hmm. healing, alternative methods, um, we are here to say it's a lot more work. And this is in a nutshell, but the results are also much more fulfilling. Right. Which is what's um, counterintuitive. One would think that it would actually be more work if you go this route or that it wouldn't be fulfilling or perhaps that it may not work out it may not actually produce results right and this is interesting i'm glad you brought this up because we're going to get into the meaning of success and happiness and that in our episodes uh but i think that is but, why it's a fork in the road yeah because what ends up deciding the deciding factor ultimately is as a parent, you want the best for your child. You want your child to be successful. You want your child to thrive in life. Every yeah, parent yeah, yeah. wants that. Yep. Right. Yep. I would. I would assert that that is a, a universal um, desire from from parents to children, and that's where the fork in the road happens. As in, what defines what happiness is? What defines what success is? Right. For different parents, that has different meanings. Right. And 
and under certain context of what success is, right, is I th- I would say is what drives different parents to to take different actions. Yeah, yeah, and and what I meant by I'm glad you brought this up was the result, right? It's like as parents, we're after a result, and we have to be very clear. And this is kind of the the. Uh, one of the diagrams that we made, and, and if you're just listening to the podcast, um, you can't see the diagram, but we're going to uh, give you some information what's on there. It's a very simple diagram in essence because there are two sides to this diagram. On one side, the results are usually more academic and more what I call financial, sort of like my son or daughter must get good grades, must go to a good school, must get a good job, career, must make good money, so then they're taken care of and they're happy. And on the left side, let's just call this, uh, uh, you know, on the right is sort of the uh, more of a financial success, having that in mind. And on the left is fulfillment, happiness, right? Um, in, a, in a way, it's like saying the result I want for my child is that they're happy. Mm-hmm. Whereas on the other side, it's like, I want them to be successful. Well, I'll assert that every parent wants their child to be happy. The question is, what what leads to happiness? And is what is it, happiness for them? What is happiness for them if financial success and means happiness? Sure, that that's what that route for them means and versus something else. And... And I think we were also cut in that same, um, in that same uh, fork in the road where we too thought happiness was a certain thing. Happiness was succeeding in business or succeeding um, right. financially. And I think it's what's sort of drilled into our subconscious by the media, by, you know, I, I grew up in Switzerland, you grew up in Ecuador, we came here to this country. And you hear about the U.S. being this land of possibility. And the more I d- dug into it when I was here, I realized possibility meant you can really go far and become a millionaire, billionaire. You can start your own company. Everything was easier to start. And I think that was all inside of this rat race of like have right. the house, have the white picket fence, have the nice car, you know, the Joneses, right? right. And then you'll be happy. Right. But we know now, based on lots of scientific studies about suicide, that a lot of people with a lot of money also commit suicide. And there's also poor people that commit suicide. So it's not like once you have all the money, you're, you're happy and you're fulfilled. Mm-hmm. That's a myth still. Now, does money make things easier sometimes? Yes. But having money as the carrot on a stick, like the financial success as the goal, as the end result, when parents are at that fork in the road almost prevents someone from going into the alternative direction because fear comes up, right? Right. So maybe we can talk about that fear, right? What is the fear on what I call the parent who's scared to do alternative methods, who's scared not to medicate, who's scared to just accept the child and let it be sort of, uh, let it unfold? What are the fears that you think come up for a parent? Well, I think even before... there's a an, a fear that comes even before all those, which is the fear of that 
if they can't follow, if they, they're not medicated, they can't follow a traditional educational model. And if you don't follow the traditional educational model, then you will fail, quote unquote. Like that's, I think, is one of the primary fears and why there's so much pressure for parents to medicate because they want their kids to fit in the traditional educational model. Mm-hmm. But there's this mis, um, there's this misunderstanding that only traditional education is the only way to succeed, which uh, we've now learned that it's absolutely not true. Yeah. It's, I always joke about it, but if you can Google it or YouTube it, then you're wasting your time learning it at a school. You're paying for it even if you go to private schools, right? Because nowadays, literally, everything's at our fingertips if we want to know about it. And I think traditional education was sort of the, the norm that you would just stick a child in there and say, we know what you should know. We think we know what you should know in order to, at the, at the time of the Industrial Revolution, that you can be a, 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 a you know, factory worker, somebody who pleases the business, pleases the boss, produces, and gets paid in return. Right. And I like what you always say. It's like you get paid to care, right? They used to get paid to care about something. And nowadays I feel like if a child has a passion to learn something, they can go out and learn it in many different ways. Right. And not to mention that there's so many different types of brains and ways of digesting information and different modalities of learning and different mindsets that, you know, we can't just say there's one mind, there's one brain, there's one way to learn. There's so many variants that I think traditional education doesn't yet recognize. But it doesn't mean that it, the variety of minds don't exist. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the part that needs to be acknowledged. It's that and neuro- neurodiversity, right? To essentially figure out how does a child learn? How do they take in information, process it, and actually store it so they can recall it when they need it? Mm-hmm. That we are pretty much ignoring for the sake of having a norm, for the sake of having 30 kids in a classroom and let the teacher get through the day. So if there's two people, two kids that keep questioning the norm, that's annoying, that's a nuisance, right? It's like they need to be medicated because they gotta stop asking questions or looking out the window or talking back to the teacher. I get it, but it's not gonna solve the problem. Medication is a Band-Aid. Right, and this is not about maligning medication or the educational system. No. But who's really at choice is the parents. Yeah. Yeah, we said that from the beginning. We said that we're, we're making a film or mm-hmm. we're starting a movement that is not to blame pharma or education or even society, but really what it is is to give to arm parents with knowledge that there's an alternative way to look at this that actually in the end might result in a more fulfilled family life. Right. And it's work. We, we are sort of the testament of that. We, we're putting in a lot of work and we're trying out a lot of things and we're tireless, I would say. But the results we've seen are amazing. I mean, I can't imagine having gone down the route that the school, when our son was diagnosed at seven, when the teacher and the principal of that school told us, if you do not medicate your son, just so you know, and they were being nice about it, right? They said, we really want to help you. And we advise you that if you do not medicate your son, he may end up self-medicating, become a drug addict, or get depressed, suicidal, and maybe even end in jail. 
-hmm. I remember walking out of that meeting going like, holy shit. Yeah. Somebody just smacked us in the face with a, yeah. with a five ton, uh, uh, concrete brick. And making, and making all these assertions on a seven year old boy. Yeah. But so here's the kicker. They were coming from the fear from all they knew, right? Because they're clearly in the camp of fear. You must educate, you must medicate, you must sort of squeeze them through the system so in the end they have a career and they will, right? So they came from fear, which I, I get it. And I think what happened was because they don't believe in the alternative, they said, you too must take on this fear, please. Right. It will help you to do the right thing. Yeah, and that's where the the true, that's a true ring of fire for the parents, for any parent to cross through. Yeah, that's actually it, good. I think right behind that fork is a ring of fire. Yes, because it takes something for a parent to say, I get that that's the reality for some, from an educational context, yet still check in with oneself and see if that resonates, if that feels true, if that feels good in your heart, that that is what's to be followed. And, uh, and, and to actually check in with yourself, which is what we did. Yeah. Because when we received that information, I know that we both looked at ourselves and we were like, no, like this does not feel true or right. Yeah. It just to go back to our sons and, medicate him and look at him in the eyes and say this is the right thing for you just did not feel good or yeah, I, I mean I trusted what I felt yeah right? and you bring up, bring up a big point right resonance and that's definitely another episode resonance is possible once we trust our intuition right so if I trust my intuition I can then say that this statement or this feedback Did it feel right? Did it vibrate at the same vibration that I have inside, right? And we said, no, it doesn't feel right. And, you know, I've seen a lot of parents on uh, the ADHD support groups that, I'm, that I've joined on Facebook to, to do research and also to share stories and hear stories. There's a lot of parents who, who basically show up in their post saying, I'm at the fork in the road. Please, parents, tell me, do I go left or right? And I often write back and say, before you go in any direction, like, does it feel right to you? You know your son better than the pediatrician, than your psychologist, psychiatrist, than the people on, even on Facebook. Don't take my word for it. But does it feel right to you? And I know we're sort of opening up a can of, of you know, worms here because we're, we're, there's a lot more to this. We have to really look at our lives like... Why does it feel right or not right? Because a parent may say, I'm so irritated, so tired, I can no longer, ha I need medication or I can't function, right? And I get it. I get it. But still, one could medicate for a while and say, while that's happening, I need to find a better solution. I want to heal more, you know, as a family. There's maybe a divorce. There's anger. There's a lot of other things. But, and I don't want to get too sidetracked, but if we go back to... Uh, to this side where we were told um, by our school, by our son's school, that, um, you know, here's the fear that you should have so that you push him through the system successfully so that he'll make it so that you can die and feel like you did a good job because your child is now successful and happy. And 
like you said, you're right. Every parent does care, love their children, and wants them to become happy. Which I think brings us to this point of what is happiness? So what is it to you? Um, that's a great question, and I think that's something that has shifted over time from what I consider happiness to then to, to now, and it actually has been a big part of this journey from living towards a goal that I thought was going to make me happy, that being success in work, in career, in business, and working very hard at it and working very diligently around that, thinking, yes, this is, this is what's going to lead me to. And, and then finding myself after achieving certain measures in life, realizing like how constrained I felt, how unfulfilled it all still felt. And it wasn't, it became very clear for me, like it wasn't a matter of like keep achieving more. At that point, I feel like I got to feel it in my own, as a, as a very personal experience, that it wasn't about that anymore. And, and of course, this was happening in tandem while uh, we were receiving these news from Kai's school. And so, so I think because of that, I think I can now, for myself, then say how happiness and its definition of shifted dramatically after that experience. Um, not just from reading it in an Insta Instagram post going like, you know, success is not happiness, right? <laughs> but actually like experiencing it and feeling it and, and actually get very curious and start the inquiry of like, what is that for us? And, and I think that has led us into the journey of everything we've undertaken from relooking at our marriage, our communication, relation, you know, considering what is the relationship with ourselves, um, what does self-love mean? What does self-love is? How is that directly connected to how much I can love my children? My capacity to love myself is related to my capacity to love my boys. Like, it's all interconnected. And, and being able to go deeper in that knowledge of ourselves, I think for me, has given me access to more happiness. And it, yeah. So to answer your question, happiness, it's a long-winded answer, but, but um, that, you know, I think that's a bit where happiness is beginning to shift for me. And, and if you were to say, what is happiness for our sons? I think it's a little bit around that as well. Like I want them to know themselves fully and know themselves as whole, complete and perfect the way they are and the way they're not, that they can accept themselves the way they are and the way they're not, and that they can tap into themselves and, and, and actually listen to what they, what, what resonates with them. And, and through that, make choices and choose around their lives and what they want to do and create. And I think that's what happiness is. That's great. And w while you were talking, something came to me and it was this simple thought of happiness is just being 
being okay in your own skin, being comfortable moment to moment. If you're angry, if you're sad, if you're happy, if you gain some weight, if you lost some weight, if somebody leaves you, if you lose a job, like that ability to be okay with it. Right. And I think one of the issues I have with medication, I have this new visual. I think you'll like it because I used to have the Band-Aid visual of, you know, medication's a Band-Aid and you still mm -hmm. have to address the, the deeper wound, right? Mm -hmm. A Band-Aid isn't going to heal a really deep wound. But now it's almost like, you know, the, the game whack-a-mole. Mm -hmm. If it was automated and the gophers or whatever keep popping up and you just put duct tape over one of them. And it's going to keep, you know, at some point it'll come up and the duct tape will be loose, right? And I feel the same way about medication that we can medicate a child, but that child will not know truly how to be okay with him or herself because they will be on medication and they won't know if I'm off, who am I when I'm off? And am I okay if I'm off or am I bad or broken or do I need to be on, like there's a dependency. And I think we're creating then uh, uh, an army of dependent children that become adults and they won't really know who they are. They'll think they're a, a, a product of education and career and, you know, yeah, I need my meds, but at least I do good work. And, you know, so, so whether you, as a parent choose to medicate your child or not, that's on you. Like, um, you know, there's no judgment here. The only judgment would be to, to say, please explore everything first, because it is, you know, if we look at uh, stimulant uh, medication, they're scheduled two, right? That means they're not harmless, simple aspirin type of medications. They're really going in there in the brain and really rewiring the brain and and we don't have control what's beyond that right yeah, and there are a schedule two they're next to cocaine and right meth meth some drugs that we tell our kids don't do drugs right and look i get it these are more controlled and there's more studies than on the others because the others are illegal but at the same time i would advise parents to really look at both narratives and not um, disregard the narrative that you and I are speaking or echoing or, you know, raising the volume of, to not disregard that mm -hmm. because, yes, there's experts on both sides that are a bit more radical and we have to just take it with a grain of salt. But the basic, the basic uh, two narratives are to medicate and label or to not medicate and label. And if I could choose one as the more important, I would say at least don't label the child as broken. At least don't, you know, say that my son's or my daughter's a problem at school or, you know, or he, I hear this often on the Facebook groups, he's an ADHDer. I mean, mm. that is the ultimate label to say you're no longer my Ben or my, my Jim, right? right? You're now my ADHDer. Right, right. And and that's just a made-up label. So we're passing on a made-up label and give that to a kid. And that label comes with a lot of meaning. Right. And it comes with what we not, call collateral, positive, by the way. Co collateral damage where yeah. there, there can be additional um, symptoms that come up just from the anxiety of knowing, of a child knowing itself as broken or uh, disordered. Yeah, and the collateral damage is something you and I discussed early on where I read something and, 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 you know, whether this is true or not, whether it's been debunked or facts, it doesn't matter. Again, 
listen to what I'm saying. Don't get hung up on the numbers and the source, and and you'll see why. So I read somewhere, and I think it was a a, a group called uh, Truth About ADHD. It said that uh, a child with ADHD will receive through his throughout his lifetime, uh, through I think it's through his childhood, twenty thousand more negative comments than his or her peers without mm-hmm. ADHD. It, maybe it's five thousand, not twenty thousand. Maybe it's you know. It doesn't matter, but there's a truth in there that if you've been labeled with ADHD or a troublemaker, can't sit still, you're going to receive more negative comments from your parents, from your teacher, from your soccer coach, from you, you name it, right? And as we know, words create. And a child is so um, malleable, a child's brain or, or consciousness is so malleable that they're going to naturally start saying to themselves, I am not good enough. I am not smart. I am a troublemaker, you know, and eventually they will attract more of that. And then that's their identity. Right. And I'm not talking out of my butt here. This is scientifically or psychologically proven that a child with that, we call it a child that sentences him or herself to say, I'm a troublemaker. I'm I'm a broken person will actually create more of it. Right. It's like a self fulfilling prophecy. Of, of identity. We say who we say we are. We become who, what we say we are, whether we're conscious about it or not. Yeah. So that adds another level of we as pa- of responsibility of us as parents because we, in essence, are passing... If we're not aware or conscious about it, we, in essence, are passing down the identity and identity label for our children Yeah. that will likely you know stay with them for for their till their adulthood and uh, it'll take whatever other level of of healing and trauma healing and and for them to shed that yeah um and that's on top of already their their difference but it that is what will make the difference on how they experience their their learning differences whether they see it from an empowering perspective that I learn differently and I just need to, you know, I need to, because I now know myself, I I know I learned this way. So that's how I will absorb information from here on versus just simply going, oh, I must be dumb. I must be stupid. I can't learn the way others learn. So there's something wrong with me. Right. It's like same reality, two totally different experiences, two totally different perspectives and likely two totally different outcomes in the future. And I love that because. I would say to parents that if you're at that fork in the road, if you feel called to go left, in my opinion, if you want to go Medicaid and label, I would say do your child one last favor before you, what I call, take a chance on your child's neurochemistry and brain. And, you know, there's a lot of side effects. I mean, you, you saw me read the ones of the Ritalin and Adderall I've been taking to test myself and that there was like it took me like two minutes to read the side effects and I thought it was a lot it was a lot and I'm like if I just get one of those that's not going to feel good right but I took the risk and I did we'll talk about that in another time but there was a lot of irritation happening and I'm an adult right but I could feel my brain scratching but anyway the only the sort of the advice I would give to parents uh, and it's not even advice I would ask them for a favor and this would be in the name of their child do it for your child take a piece of paper, make a list of all the areas in life. You and I've done this before, right? We've rated our own marriage. So 
rate your marriage. If you're divorced or separated, rate how that relationship is going. And I would say from a scale to one to 10, right? Rate how the, the diet, the food is in the household. Um, rate the amount of stress you have in life because of work. Rate the relationship with your family, perhaps with your parents. And, um, and, and really take all the areas of life and rate them. And honestly, and, and be honest, if you're like, if, if your ex-husband and you are constantly fighting, that's not a seven, that's a three or four, especially when it, a child is looking at it, right? Yeah. So my, my advice would be look at that scale. And if you're somewhere five and below in at least two areas, work on those areas first before you make the child the problem. If you have a nine, eight, 10 in most areas, and you still feel like medicating and there's still an issue with your child, maybe you are one of those three, four, three to five percent of, of children or of families that do benefit from medication for the time being. I'm not saying every, nobody should do medication. But my point here is please evaluate and look at all the areas in your life and see if there's healing to be done, work to be done, peace to be brought to, love to be brought to together as a family. And if that's healed, and your child still has an issue, then maybe medicate. That yeah. would be my advice. I think you're bringing up a really important point, which was a big aha for us. The importance of the environment for, for children with other learning um, abilities, whether that it's part of not saying there's a problem with them is also being conscious of what is the environment around them and and I think what you're proposing of using this rating system I think it's a great way to just get a bird's eye view of what is the what is the energy around that child because if it's anything under five if we're in the threes and the fours know that that child it's absorbing all of that yeah it is experiencing all of that, whether it's tension between husband and wife or between ex-husband, ex-wife, whatever that may be. Even if those conversations don't happen in front of the child, the children are feeling it, are experiencing it, are sensing that. And all of that gets back into their bodies as stress. And as we've now seen, Stress is part of what triggers that stress response system in the body mm-hmm. that also equates to trauma. Right. And it's a form of trauma. But if we just want to call it stress, that's fine. Let's stick with stress. Or call it imbalance. Call it disconnect. Call it whatever it is in the family. If it makes you feel better, we just call it trauma now because right. we know that all trauma is is unprocessed, unhealed, and stuck in the body kind of stress. Right, but what's important is. is to be able to understand that that environment is completely having a direct effect. Yeah. And, and by the way, we're not talking, if you're listening now and you're going like, whoa, whoa hold on, you're talking environment, what are you talking about? We're not making this up. So the study of epigenetics is clearly starting and started a while back, but finally it's bubbling to the, to the surface is that um, in epigenetics, it's clear that there's little switches, little on and off. Imagine little on and off switches on each of the genes, and we're not predisposed, meaning we're not stuck with a gene. If you say, well, there, first of all, just so you know, there's no ADHD gene, and that is actually scientifically proven, or it's not proven that there is an ADHD gene, because ADHD as a label is made up anyway, so there can't be an 
quote unquote ADHD gene. But my point is that if you believed there was a gene like that and your father had, you know, ADHD and he's passed it on to you, well, that doesn't mean you're stuck with or you will always have to be someone with ADHD. The environment can turn that on or off. And if the environment's very stressful, it's going to turn it on. And yes, you will have these what we call ADHD traits. You will be nervous, anxious, scan the environment, be impulsive, hyperactive, right? Because of the stress, not because you have what they call ADHD. Again, it's made up. And if you want to dig deeper in that, there's an episode uh, where, you know, it's called It's All Made Up um, because it is made up. It's a label, like chair is a word that we made up for a sitting device. So we don't, I don't want to go into that right now, but um, epigenetics is basically backing up scientifically what we're talking about, that the environment has such a huge impact on how a child will end up being in life. An early environment, especially, we were talking to Gabor Mate, who's an amazing expert, a, a Canadian a former MD who's a, an author and a public speaker. He wrote Scattered, um, a book that's the U.S. title, a book about ADHD. And he says that all mental disorders at the root have some form of trauma. And he starts with even prenatal stress. And that was our issue as he sort of, uh, you could say, almost <laughs> diagnosed us or our situation on a recent Zoom call, that he said that you, during, uh, the, during your pregnancy, most likely had prenatal stress. Our son could feel your anxiety, perhaps the pressure at work, the stress. I mean, you worked up until two days before he was born, right? I did. I did. And that's because, you know, work was my life. And society that. makes that okay. It's okay. A mother, right. if you have a job, you know, tough shit, you just, you work and you love your work and you keep going. But I, it was like, I was doing quote unquote, you know, the, the ultimate, it was the ultimate uh, power mama moment, right? It's like, yeah. oh, I, I can, I can, I can work. I can have, I can have my own business and, uh, and be a mom and be pregnant. And, and sure enough, we can, but it really came at a cost and an expense yeah. because I was in a state of stress. But what I thought really interesting when he was sharing that with us was the other point of view of like, why am I in a, such a state of stress? And what is your role? What is the role yeah. of our partners yeah. in supporting us through that? And this brings us to almost a, the relationship part of our research uh, for this project, ADHD is Over, which is a documentary film that we're releasing in uh, summer of 21. And part of the research led us to dig deeper in the area of relationship between, in our case, husband and wife, like m male, female, right? And there is an energetic dance, the masculine and the feminine uh, that are dancing together. And Carl Jung uh, ca calls it the anima and animus. Like that is a psychological, um, you could say not phenomena, but that is not something we're making up right now. There is a masculine and feminine dance and it's in each one of us. It's in the woman, it's in the man, right? And during that time when you were pregnant, I was... You could say I was more in my feminine. I was uncertain as a man. I was uh, not grounded. I wasn't a, a full-on provider, right? So that was one aspect that had you feel perhaps uh, uh, not relaxed and you know more anxious and stressed. And of course, then you had, and you can elaborate on that, you had your own 
uh, upbringing, your own way that you were shaped by the women in your life, right? And this me being in my feminine was shaped by the men in my life, by my father who was more right. often in his feminine. And then you had your uh, uh, sort of pick up the sword right. and go. And that's where the, the whole epigenetics comes in, right? We can keep going back and, you know, back further and further in time. But I think it also all, it all boils down to the present and the now and who we are as parents right now. Yes, we pass it on. Our ancestors brought it on to us. And here we are, you know, loaded and ready to pass it on to our kids and telling, tell, you know, and, and it's up to us to, to, to define what's the story we want to keep passing down, right? The narrative, right? Like what is the narrative? What is yep. the environment that right. I have full control of? right now yeah that i want to keep creating for what will come after me right yeah. and I, I agree i think even just labeling our children with adhd or saying well my dad had it and i have it and i have adhd and i take medication and i'm adhd there's a, a certain comfort that i feel around a lot of the support groups where people say oh my god finally i knew what was wrong with me right that, that's interesting the choices of words because you know, as human beings, all of us have some form of inner dialogue that's either uh, something's wrong with me, I'm not good enough, I'm not loved, right? You get it. There's some version of that in our heads, in a little voice in our heads, right. in all of us. And I think when, when people say, finally, I know what was wrong with me, finally, I know, I understand, it's almost like the evidence we were looking for that we needed to then have evidence to say, oh, so there is something wrong with me, right? And it's like, why would we want that? Well, because the payoff for that is pity, right? You get sympathy from people. Oh, poor you, you can't, yeah. I know it must be hard and people go, you have no idea what it's like to live with ADHD. You have no idea. And well, I can now say I do, because I, I feel like I'm a sort of an undiagnosed, well, by now I'm diagnosed, but was uh, undiagnosed uh, adult with so-called ADHD. We have our son who supposedly has ADHD. And so we've been through this and I know what people are talking about, but it's inside of a context of there's something wrong with me. I do have this thing called ADHD and you should feel bad for my crazy life. Right. And that's one way to go. Yes. Take it if it fulfills you. Mm -hmm. But none of the people I see posting these things online feel actually fulfilled and happy and really, truly at peace with themselves. And I think it's because they know in, intrinsically, like as a human being, there's nothing wrong with them. There's nothing wrong with them. If we really sit with our humanity, we're all different. We're all going through life differently. And that's okay. Yeah. And just to, ex you know, and even if there seems to be a difference that, you know, whatever friction there is between oneself and the external world, well, you know, that is, that's not, it's only us who give ourselves the label that that shouldn't be or there's wrong other than it's just different. <laughs> As so is everything. <laughs> Uh, you said the word friction, right? If you think about it, like every time there's friction, how come we actually blame our child or ourselves versus we never actually look at the the other side, right? If you, if your son can't sit still in school, we don't necessarily look at the teacher, look at the classroom, the type of schooling, the type of learning. We do sometimes, parents do a little bit, but then it's still like, well, that is a good school and that produces great students, so how come my son can't sit still? Well, I think... 
something that it's important to be said is, and I was thinking about it when you were saying doing the assessment of, you know, one's life, right? Rating it out. One item that was missing in that is rating yourself and your relationship to sure, yourself. Sure. Where do you see that? Yeah. Are you in a space of happiness? Give yourself a 10. Are you in a space of, uh, I'm not where I want to be. And you know, whether it's frustration or disappointment with yourself, wherever that may fall, right? Yeah. Rate that because that has absolutely everything to do with how you see your child. Yeah. As I've always said, the level of, of the level of, uh, love you have to yourself is directly related to the, your capacity of loving others. Yeah. So wherever you are in that spectrum, that will be your cap of how much you can see the love in others. And that includes your children and our children. Yeah. So whenever I know that for myself, when I was still, you know, in, in, in the, the space of being driven by my business and, and being driven by, by trying to prove something of value for myself, that I matter, that I'm not dumb, that I'm not stupid, that I can have a business, that I can prove this to people, right? I, that was my driver. But it was really been driven by an underlying belief within myself that I'm, I'm stupid, that I can't have my own business, I'm not smart enough. You know, whatever disempowering, you know, dialogue I had was also the same dialogue that was impacting how I was seeing my son. Yeah. So, yeah. So even before, you know, even before his diagnosis came, I, you know, I know there was still a lot of stress in the family where there was, I remember losing it many times and getting frustrated at, yeah, at our he son. Was, he was acting up. Yeah, he was totally acting up. And I remember getting incredibly frustrated. And at the beginning, it was just like, you know, why can't you just behave? Why can't you just be quiet? And yeah. why can't you, you know, be like, you know, that other kid? I mean, I, I, I will admit that there were parts of me that at the beginning were judgmental against him. And it's, and, in, it's interesting. But that judgment, my point is that that judgment comes through the filter of being judgmental with myself. Mm -hmm. It's a mirror. It's a mirror. Yeah. So, of course these children which are a gift will come and challenge the hell out of you yeah. and will push every button but there's a beauty that they push every button because that's exactly the type of healing that we got to be doing ourselves as parents and i was going to say yes if you have a child with adhd right now i want you to say thank you to the universe i want you to say thank you for sending me the biggest most powerful life teacher who's pushing my buttons because we want people to push our buttons because our buttons when they get pushed and we get triggered that's our access to find something behind that trigger that's unhealed that's unresolved that we still get triggered by and they do it they will do it i mean i look at you know these posts on facebook parents are exhausted parents are losing sleep their hair they're living an unhealthy life because they're so triggered and so frustrated and exhausted and while i get it a lot of that exhaustion comes from the resistance to not want to go deeper in themselves with well themselves. i don't think they know to look even there well, because we didn't, no, we didn't know either we didn't either no yeah. one no one is sharing this there's no narrative out there well a, yeah, a very mean, faint narrative but that that actually supports parents it's okay to look at yourself 
it's, a le- it's okay to demystify the taboo of trauma. And it's not that you've done anything wrong or you're a bad parent or, you no. know, bad mommy, daddy, right? Not at all. It just simply is it, is, it is a gift to actually have a mirror, as you said, that will point something unique that yeah, yeah. only then do you will, will you have the opportunity to look at. And it blows my mind, and I, I say this with love, but when I often are, am on those Facebook groups, and I hear a lot of parents complain that not only does my son or daughter have ADHD, but there's a lot of anger issues. And most of the time, the parents are in a divorce or separated or single parents, right? And so I will say to those parents, because we've been there, when something's missing, in this case, the, the other parent, and there might be anger, there might be resentment, fights, all that stuff, please do not think that that has nothing to do with your child's anger. That anger is not a, what they call a comorbidity with ADHD. We've come to accept that when a child has ADHD, it most likely will come at some point with emotion or, or anger tantrums. Yes, but it has nothing to do with ADHD. It has everything to do with the environment. And because if we think that that environment, that divorce or that verbal abuse or physical abuse or sexual abuse or cultural who knows what has nothing to do with our children's behavior we have ways to go to until ADHD is over because we got a lot of work to do and I guess that's why we call it ADHD is over because once we say it's over it's actually over it may still take 10 years for us to create the family we want and love but the moment we decide it's over it's a declaration it's over and so I just, you know, if, unless you have anything else to say, I just wanted to go back to that fork in the road and say that at that fork in the road, we as parents have the power to say, uh-uh, my son is whole, complete, and perfect. Nothing wrong with him. The way he is and the way he's not. My daughter learns differently and she's going to be uh, an astronaut. She's going to do whatever she's going to do. She's going to get there how she gets there, when she gets there, and... The last thing I will do as a parent is label them with a disempowering uh, stigma. And the very last thing I will do is give them synthetic Schedule II stimulant drugs because I believe that there's something wrong with their brain. To me, let that be the absolute last resort. Nothing wrong with medication has its place. But the way we're medicating nowadays, it's like just the next thing they do, right? Diagnosis, medication. Diagnosis, medication. And we're here to say, if you're completely fulfilled and happy and your child is medicated and your family life is harmonious, good for you. Keep doing it because it's working. We're saying what we are doing, which is the alternative direction, we are starting to see more fulfillment, more happiness, more peace, more abundance, more love, and it's not a coincidence. That's right. So today, that was that fork in the road. If you're at that fork in the road or know someone who's at that fork in the road, please feel free to share this episode. We hope that it can make a difference. Reach out to us if you have a suggestion for a topic, um, or we can also direct you to certain resources or articles and so forth. 
You can also get more information on our website, ADHDisover.com. It's a website that's currently being built for the film and the movement, but uh, we're going to keep you posted. You can uh, enter your email there. We're going to put you on the mailing list and keep, keep you up to date. Um, thanks again for your attention, no pun intended, but <laughs> we value your attention and uh, please spread the word that ADHD is over. Yes. Thank you, love. Thank you.